Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, today, and uh, uh, Stephen and Sarah have done a great job through the uh, preaching through the Christmas season, and they've got a great job lining up a great sermon series uh, building up to Easter. But we're going to take a chunk of time now looking at the book of Genesis, uh, really starting in chapter 12, the family of Abraham and uh, his extended family. Uh, But today I want to particularly look at how God uh, gave Abraham a blessing. And uh, perhaps uh, more surprisingly is how somehow or other, we part of that blessing. Uh, so I'll explain that as we get going. But um, let me just uh, ask a question. Have you ever felt that there's been a time in your life where God has just quite honestly felt distant to you? Uh, or there's been a time in your life, or maybe you're going through that time right now, where the closeness that you experienced with God previously is not where you're at now. Um, you know, th- this can be very uh, disconcerting because you know what it's like to uh, have God involved in your life. You've, you've, you've experienced uh, God do great things in your life. Uh, and uh, as hard as you try, or maybe trying currently, you just feel like you can't connect with with the Lord, and it's um, it's frustrating. That's all I can say is when you go through these these times. Um, I rem- I have a spiritual director. It's a huge blessing, and really the spiritual director's job is to ask me how you're connecting with the Lord. And the next question he would say is, "Well, how can I help you to connect with the Lord?" And I remember. Uh, one time I was expressing how uh, I was just going through a season where God just felt distant, and it was very unsettling for me. And uh, he asked me a question. He said, is this the first time that's, that you've experienced this? And I said, I said, yes. And he said, what? You've been a Christian for how long? And he was like kind of surprised that this was my first experience. And I said, look, it's not a severe thing. I, I don't feel like God is totally absent. I, I just feel unsettled. And, uh, you know, he was encouraging to me to say, look, this is actually normal as part of your Christian walk and experience, that there are seasons where God just seems a little distant. Uh, and sure enough, uh, I didn't do anything differently, but... It just seemed to pass, and then the Lord seemed close to get to me again, and and uh, a, a sense of levity and joy came back. But you know, sometimes you've gone through an event, uh, maybe it, it's sickness, uh, or maybe it's something traumatic like dealing with cancer, or maybe it's job loss, or you know, some crisis or tragedy that hits you. And uh, then at that time, you, you're leaning into the Lord and, and you're trying to uh, get some comfort. And you, sometimes you just don't. And it's very unsettling. It feels like the time you need God the most, you don't really sense God's presence. 
Well, today, I, I, as we look at the story of uh, Abraham and Sarah, and I'm going to use Abraham, even though as we read, it's going to be Abram and Sarai before their names were changed. Uh, but I think there's two things that we can get from this story before I even read it to you. And the two things that I think we need to get is this. One is the grace of God. Uh, so understanding who God is and how God works and what's God's personality like and how can we understand the grace of God and particularly how God has called us before we feel like we've reached out to God. No, the, the starting point is God has called you and has reached out to you. So understanding the grace of God, it's mysterious. It, it, it is. The other thing which I want us to get out of the story, which is equally mysterious, and that's how do we have vibrant faith? How, do we, how can we be people of faith? How do you have faith when the circumstances are bleak? Or how do you uh, feel like you're walking in faith when God seems distant? Uh, how can you be a person that would be described, this person has strong faith? So I think we can get all this out of, um, out of this uh, section from Genesis and from the story of Abraham. I love reading through the Bible. I found reading through the Bible programs really helpful. And today's the first of the year. So if you want to read through a Bible uh, in a year, or if, if I'm a slow reader, so I like to normally make that two years or even longer, uh, I'd encourage you to do that. However, here's the challenge. The Old Testament is pretty long, and there's a lot of reading, and it's not as important or as significant as the New Testament. The New Testament is much shorter and it's much more Jesus-focused and it's much more uh, accessible to us. But I always encourage people, ironically, to start in the Old Testament, uh, start in the New Testament to understand the Old Testament. And now I'm going to read to you about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But ironically, I'm going to start again in the New Testament because it's through the New Testament lens that the Old Testament comes to life. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the, of the Old Testament. So if we start with Jesus and we read the Old Testament, it really becomes uh, alive. And so uh, let, me, let me do that. And, uh, you know, if we look at the significance, say, of uh, Abraham in the New Testament, uh, when I did a little word search, Abraham's name comes up 95 times in the New Testament, which is a lot. Uh, David, King David, uh, famous in the Old Testament, his name came up 60 times. So you get a, a sense that, wow, Abraham's a whole lot more than that. Uh, Isaiah, the greatest prophet and who's quoted the most in the New Testament, uh, only comes up 23 times. Moses comes up uh, 116 times. So clearly Moses is listed the most and then Abraham uh, second. But of course Jesus is mentioned almost 1,500 times, which you would ex hope and expect in the New Testament. But uh, let me read Galatians 3.9 to you. 
So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessings Abraham received because of his faith. Wait. This is pretty remarkable. This is like an unbelievable statement. We can receive the same blessing Abraham received? Okay, wait. I'm going to read the blessings that Abraham received. But this is why it's helpful to read the New Testament first. Because now all of a sudden when we read the blessings of Abraham, it's not just the old story of God blessing Abraham. Somehow or other, we in this. And we receive these blessings too. So let me read Galatians 3.9 again. So for all who put their faith in Christ, we share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Okay, so let me read this section to you. This is Genesis chapter 12. And um, I've kind of, as we go through the, the, uh, the screens, you'll see that when it comes to the blessings, instead of just listing them the way it uh, shows up in your Bible, I've actually articulated them, six of them, uh, itemized them just so that they stand out. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. Okay, pretty clear, simple instruction. And then God says this. And he has the first promise. I will make you into a great nation. Second promise. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And then absolutely mind-blowing is this. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, how would Abram even comprehend that? Like, okay, every single family in the whole wide world is going to be blessed through me. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how you like, I don't know how Abram would have even comprehended that, except he's, okay, the Lord has spoken to him. And again, we understand this from the New Testament perspective as this has been fulfilled through Jesus and Jesus coming through the lineage of Abram. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot left with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, okay, I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I always battle with the dates of people's ages, especially in the first part of the, the Bible. And so I'm saying, okay, so when did Abram die? Well, he died when he was 175. So that gave him a pretty long life. So does that mean, like, compared to, say, my life, you know, uh, how does that relate? It was 75, actually not that old. But, you know, Sarah died pretty young. I don't know, like 125 or something, not as old as Abram. Uh, but as you know, the story of Abram and Sarah, one of the issues was they battled to have kids and then had kids pretty late uh, and so it doesn't matter how you shake this up it's like Sarah had a kid and Abraham you know when they're like a hundred maybe for you and I it's like when we're 80 I don't know either way it's complete miracle it's like kind of crazy all right so Abraham was 75 years old when he left his wife Sarah uh, Sarai his nephew lots and all his wealth his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. He headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, 
Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Moriah, and at that time the area was inhabited by Canaanites. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country uh, with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. I mean, here's Abram. He, he gets the promised land, and, you know, the Lord says, okay, this is the land I'm going to bless you, but he keeps going south. And, uh, you know, he's just responding in amazing faith, not really knowing how this is all going to shake out. And he's heard these incredible promises being made to him, and he's got to be thinking, this is impossible, which it is. It is impossible, except nothing's impossible with the Lord. And this is one of the steps that Abram had in faith. He was this unbelievable ability to both obey the Lord and to believe in the Lord. Uh, and we're going to uh, look at that uh, like right here, right now. But let me just sort of paint as we're looking at starting a series and we're at the beginning of Genesis, uh, sort of the big picture. So the Bible starts with Adam and Eve and they're disobedient and then things, you know, sin enters the world and then God uh, allows them to have kids and uh, Cain kills Abel, so murder is introduced into the world. So you've got, you know, Adam and Eve in paradise and then things go downhill and they go worse with murder coming in and then things continue to degenerate and God is really like upset with our free choice uh, that we've been making and making bad choices and finally he floods the world and uh, he finds Noah being a righteous man and he says okay we'll start again we'll start with Noah and uh, then after Noah things degenerate again and uh, you've got like sexual craziness with going on and uh, then you got, you, you know, the, the tower being built, Tower of Babel. And God says, okay, we'll start again. We'll start again with Abram. And uh, I'm going to make some blessings and promises to Abram to give some structure. And then if we fast forward through this, you know, uh, people are sort of faithful for a while. Abram ends up uh, his generations in Egypt. And then Moses takes him out of Egypt. And then people are faithful for a while, and then they get mad with Moses, and he's grumbling, and God helps them into the promised land. And with David, things like hit their peak, and they're really doing great. And then things degenerate, and people like lose faith again. And finally, God's ultimate promise in Jesus, Jesus arrives, and Jesus says, okay, we're going to start again, and uh, we're going to give you a different framework. We can have faith in Jesus. And if you look at the world today, I would say here, right here in Boston, we like degenerating, we're giving up on faith, much like Western Europe. And, you know, we're just in this phase. Whereas maybe in Africa, Southern uh, South America, faith is definitely on the rise. And if you look at, say, places like Iran, uh, Christianity is sharply on the rise or in China. So, you know, certain areas we, we think, oh, we've done that, tried that, didn't work. Uh, we've given up on Jesus and, you know, that sort of mindset. But what I am saying 
is God, as I've said so often, is large and in charge. And God has a plan for humanity. But this is this weird walk that we have where we have free will to do what we want. But at the same time, there's the sovereign grace of God where God is reaching out to us. Uh, and the question is, will we respond like Abraham did? So that's the backdrop to the story. Now, one of the um, one of the ways that we should not respond to God when we're dealing with a downtime in our life, when God seems uh, distant, or when things happen in our lives which we just get so frustrated about, is we not, we should not or we should resist the temptation to tell God what He should do. I mean, I know it sounds kind of funny, but that's exactly what we do. We keep saying, well, God, you know, if you are really God, or certainly people that don't believe in God, if God really existed, he would not allow the suffering in the world. Uh, you know, if God was really real, I mean, he wouldn't allow me to suffer. Uh, if God, you know, and listen, Isaiah gives us a great little uh, handy section here in Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? Oh, okay, friends, listen, when we get mad at God, we should not be telling God what to do. I mean, we should be leaning into God's grace and saying, God, this is mysterious. I don't fully understand it. Uh, you know, maybe you're a person that suffers from depression. It's very frustrating. You can't stop it coming on. You know that when you're in a sense of depression, everything feels uncomfortable and distant, and you can't get yourself out of it. But when it lifts, it's like, it's like the fog lifts. You know, this is not a time to be accusing God. This is a time of just saying, God, I don't understand. But I need your grace. I need more faith, not less faith. I need more of you, God, not less of you. Even if I can't control it or understand it all, uh, we have enough that we can understand. So I wanted to get, give us uh, five practical Lessons or five things we can learn from Abraham uh, in this little section. Uh, five lessons that we can apply to our own lives uh, in, in strengthening our faith and understanding the character of God. The first one is this. Abraham obeyed God. When God said, Abraham, leave. Leave your country. Leave everything that's familiar and go to this other place. Abraham left. Listen, there's only one sentence, you know, in the Bible on this. God says, Abram, leave. And Abram left. He just obeyed God and he obeyed God immediately. Here's the remarkable thing. Abram didn't say, when, who, how, what. He just knew where. I mean, there was a lot of questions that you and I would be asking that Abram didn't ask. And I think there's a faith lesson here that we can all really grasp. When we 
got direction from the Lord, and we've got a lot of direction, you know, through the Word of God, through the New Testament. When we know the ways of God, our obligation is to obey them and to follow them, and we will be blessed by them. If we, you know, handicap ourselves by not obeying because we just have, you know, an endless supply of questions, we just never get ahead. So, obey. The second question, the, the second thing I think we can get out of the story, which is helpful to us, we are blessed to be a blessing. Abram was blessed to be a blessing. When we get this concept of living in faith, and the idea is that we are meant to be blessed, yes, and we are meant to be a blessing, it changes everything. Because once you start blessing other people, once you start trying to be a blessing to other people, you become blessed. You will get stuck if you just want to receive blessing, 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 and, and there's no like outflow. It's sort of like a, 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 a lake that's just become stagnant. You know, the water's flowing in, but it doesn't flow out, and it just eventually becomes all gunky and, you know, gross. But if there's a fresh stream of water coming in and there's water going out, man, that's the lake you want to swim in and boat in. And, you know, it's just wonderful. Let God's blessings come into your life, but be aware of being conscious of saying, who am I going to bless? How am I going to bless them? All right, the third uh, point I think we can learn from this story is Abraham and Sarah did not live perfect lives. Abraham lied about uh, Sarah being his wife and when he went to Egypt. And, uh, you know, they just weren't perfect people. But the point is that they had the ability to say, look, we're going to start again. When you fail, you start again. And this is the new year. Uh, this is a great time to say, look, we're going to start again. We make our resolutions. We do whatever we do. But we we intentional about saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to start again. And when, when you fail, you just got to say, okay, I, I want to correct the mistake I made. I want to adjust, but I want to start again. And it's the same in faith as it is if you're learning music or, or sport. You don't, you know, pick up a guitar for the first time and just everything you do is just perfect. No mistakes. I mean, you just, it's just a lot of mistakes. Mistakes is part of learning. It's like that with faith as well. We make mistakes. Fine. Fix them. Confess your sin. Move on. Use your mistakes to, to grow. The fourth point, even when there's no reason for hope, Abraham hoped. Uh, let me just read again from the New Testament, Romans chapter 4, verse 18, and I'm going to read through 21. Even when there was no hope, even when there's no reason for a hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he was about a hundred years of age. He figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Okay, there's something about Abraham which He's hearing what God has said, and he's looking and saying, this is just impossible. This, this, this can't be. 
And instead of letting his mind dwell on like it can't be and all the obstacles, he kind of moves ahead thinking, man, God is God. And yeah, it's going to be a miracle. And the realization that, okay, he can't do it on his own. Uh, and as we know, Abram failed in that area too. He, he, he remembered God's blessing and then Sarah wasn't producing a kid. So he said, well, I've got a concubine, you know, try with her. Uh, uh, no, but when he fails, he, he gets back on track. Um, that's, the, that's the blessing of, of Abraham. Abraham never wavered in his belief in believing God's promise. In fact, and he has the point for us, his faith grew stronger and, and it brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. You know, you will come across people that when they're under pressure, when things aren't going well in their lives, some people, they just crack and they just say, I, I just give up. Other people, for no logical reason, will say, but I believe in God and I'm going to put more faith in God even though the situation seems like more ridiculous. And people like that honestly are delight to be around because it's like no matter how much difficulty or how much hardship or how many questions are not being answered, their faith in the Lord like just is just astoundingly uh, uh, strong. And um, yeah, it, it, it's really just, uh, it just wonderful. Let me share a story. Uh, yeah, I love uh, church history. I uh, love uh, athletics, I love the Olympics, I love running, um, and I want to share uh, Eric uh, a little uh, story. I also like it because I like missions, and I like it because my wife was born in Scotland, and so for all these reasons I want to tell you the story of a hundred years ago about Eric Little, the uh, great Scottish uh, hundred meter sprinter. Uh, some of you know the story because it was a great movie, Chariots of Fire, that came out in 1981. And for most of you, that is like ancient history before I was born, and I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, this is 100 years ago, the 1924 Olympics. And so here's the shake. So um, Eric uh, was a missions kid. He was born in China. Uh, his parents were missionaries to China. And uh, he goes back to Edinburgh to university. And while he's at Edinburgh, he's a great athlete. He's like really fast. And uh, the Scots have never, ever won a medal in the Olympics. And they, they got all their hope on Eric because he's like super fast. And so the 100 meters is his gig. And uh, he's got one guy that he's a competitor with, a Jewish guy. And uh, they both compete, uh, go to Paris for the Olympics. Unfortunately, the 100 meters is on Sunday. And while for many of us there would be no big deal, for Eric, he was a committed Christian, and he said, under no circumstances am I going to run on Sunday. I put the Lord first, and I'm not going to do it. 
to which the great British uh, newspapers uh, had headline news about what a traitor he was and uh, what you know despicable character and how could he let down the whole nation uh, and this sort of thing. And Eric uh, basically just started preaching at a church in Paris on the Sunday and said, it's God's will. I would love to run in, uh, in the Olympics, and, uh, but I'm not doing it on Sunday. So uh, he doesn't. And his running mate, uh, the Jewish guy, he actually ends up winning it. And so England gets their first uh, medal, uh, gold medal. And um, Eric's like, well, congratulations. Uh, he was my arch uh, rival, and, uh, but God's will. So the 200 meters comes along, which happens to be twice the distance of 100 meters. And uh, if you're a 100 meter person, you know that 200 meters is like a long way to run. And so Eric runs that on Tuesday, and what do you know, he comes second. So he gets the first medal for Scotland, and things are really looking great, and uh, no longer is the, the press vilifying him. But on Friday, it's the 400 meters, and this is definitely not Eric's race. But as Eric said, he said, you know, when I run, uh, I feel the Lord uh, is pleased with me. And uh on the 400 meters, he sets off, and he wins the 400 meters and breaks the world record, and it was just incredible. So Scotland's going crazy, the first medal that they've won, and uh, now they've obviously got all these great plans for Eric. And after the Olympics, Eric says, well, that was great. I enjoyed my running while I did it, but I'm going back to China to be a missionary. Now, most of you don't know this story because it's not in Chariots of Fire, and it's kind of a sad ending. I'll just, spoiler alert. But he goes back to China, and uh, the Second World War is rumbling, and uh, things aren't looking good. So Eric says to his wife and kids, uh, you need to go back to Scotland, but I want to keep serving the Lord, even though things are looking dangerous. And things did look dangerous, and Japan ended up uh, capturing all the British and Americans that were in China, and uh, they were in prison. While he was in prison, at the age of 43, he gets a brain uh, tumor, and the doctors just basically blew him off, and uh, he realized he was going to die, and so he wrote something, because he knew that he wanted something to be passed on. This is what he wrote, uh, and he was quoting a, uh, a hymn, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithfully will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, though thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored, be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. You know, the ultimate promise that all of us carry, for those of us that believe, is that we will be with the Lord. And uh, we will enjoy a sense of uh, security and peace. And Eric dying at the age of 43 in a constant, you know, in a prisoner camp, uh, was able to write these 
words, which again, like Abram, you know, when the odds are against him, when he should be asking a whole bunch of why questions and whatever not. No, he leans in to the Lord and you see his faith being uh, so strong. Uh, and it's something that we we desire. We want to see people that are role models to us that can be strong in faith in the face of adversity. And sometimes the promise that we're hanging on to is the promise of eternity. Uh, when we realize that, you know, the, the current promise uh, of healing and blessing might not be for us at this time. All right, let me finish up. Uh, Abraham, in this, the fifth point that we can make, you can learn from this, is Abraham was saved by faith and walked by faith and so it is for us as believers. Look, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, there's a lot that's written about this point. And this is about the grace of God. Uh, the big idea that's got so much put to it was the Apostle Paul trying to uh, speak to Jewish people and say they should believe in Jesus. And the Jewish people saying, well, you need to be circumcised and you need to eat kosher food and you need to... And the way this all shakes out is, is um, the Apostle Paul says, look, this does not make you a... Um, this does not... Like, like you doing good things doesn't earn you the right to make God want to accept you. Uh, and this is a, a really important point. The point is this is that God accepts you the way you are. You can't clean up your act enough to make God accept you. And so don't try. Uh, you need to have faith that God exists and that God will put His Spirit within you. And when you receive Jesus and you allow God's Spirit to be within you, what will start happening is God will have you clean up your act. And then you will want to start pleasing the Lord. But you, you can't do it the other way around. You can't say, if I grovel on my knees and I pray every day and I give a lot of money to church, then somehow or other God is just going to, you know, he, God has to bless me. No, 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 no. You do all these great things once the Lord has revealed Himself to you and you do it out of gratitude and out of graciousness and out of the desire to want to obey God. And so this becomes, you know, a big, a big deal. So Romans 4.13 says this. Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. And if you're in a Calvinistic church or Reformed church, I mean, they're hammering this point uh, home regularly and I think we need to get it too God is reaching out to us and he loves us or as Jesus says in John chapter 15 this wonderful dialogue Jesus says you didn't choose me I chose you and we get this backwards we think no I've got to choose Jesus well you've got to receive Jesus you've got to believe that Jesus exists but here's the weird thing. Here you are on the first of the year in church expecting God to bless you and you're in the right place at the right time. 
And if you're, you know, if you wavering your faith and you're saying, well, like, I see my spouse believes, but I don't really believe or whatever. Let me just say to you that Jesus is reaching out to you and God is revealing himself to you. And he's saying, walk with me, receive me. Yeah, there are many people in our area, in Boston and surrounding areas that have no interest in God and are not in church and are not in any position to hear the word of God or to receive faith. It's not accidental. It may seem accidental to you that you're in church today or hearing me online. But I'm telling you that if you're tuning in, if you're listening, if something's stirring you, God is reaching out to you. And I'm just saying, receive him. Say yes. Say, God, you're going to do the wonderful things in my life just as you did them in Abram's life because we saw the promise as we started that we are blessed the way Abram's blessed. Our role is to receive and believe. God will do the change in your life. And yes, you will change. You will change for the better. God will give you different desires. So I want to just transition into... um, a time of, of prayer. I want to do a spiritual exercise uh, with you before we carry on in worship. Um, but let me just start there. If you don't know Jesus, just say, God, I, I, I receive you. If you've tried this before and it felt like it didn't work, try again. Be like Abraham, try again. If you fail, get up and try again. And say, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I receive you into my life. I ask you to be present with me, to guide me, to lead me. And I thank you for your wonderful promises. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.